It's time for Bring It Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by The Power Lodge, SCR Northern, Zealand Meats, Tracker Boating Center, Vimer Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Liveax Marine and Isle, S&W Bait and Tackle, Oars and Mine Marine and Crosby, Freedom Firearms, Newman Construction, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, Your Ice Castle Dealer in Pine River, Crow Wing Recycling, Canvas Tech, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Bermel Shoe Store in Randall, SPR Motor Sports and Marine, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Brian Moon. Filling in for Brian Moon, I'm Kev Jackson, host of Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, and this is Brainerd Outdoors Radio on B93.3. We're getting ready for the deer opener, I should say, the firearms deer opener. We have John Williams from the regional office here to talk about it. He's the wildlife chief there. And, John, we had had deer hunting for a while now, if you're going out bow hunting. But, that's uh, right. And But that's, uh, that's a far less number of people than we'll see in the next couple of weeks. Well, that's very true, but it does seem to be gaining popularity over time, and, and uh, you know, they are beginning to harvest quite a few deer, so, yes. So what have we seen this year as far as uh, archery oh, you season? I had to is? ask. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall the exact amount. Uh, ah, goodness. Um, I, I, Kevin, I'm going to okay. blank on that one. So sorry about that. That's okay. But but yeah, overall, it, it's, it's, it's going up. Oh, yeah. And uh, archery is one of those things where people can really just get into the sport. And it's not like picking up a rifle and standing in the sand shooting a deer. There's just so many more gadgets you can have with archery, it seems like. And so... There's a big following, and, and uh, I, I think it's really gaining popularity uh, as time moves on. Well, and you can go out in much nicer time of year, too. Well, there's that, too, I guess, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So um, we're getting ready for the, the uh, firearm season. One of the things you pointed out before we went on the air was if you haven't had your rifle sighted in, you need to take care of that before Sunday because after that you can't be out with the rifle until the opener. Yeah, that's typically that five-day season where you're not allowed to uh, – have a rifle or, or ammunition that can take a deer in the field with you while you're there. So when you're uh, thinking about these next few days, there are some dates to kind of remember. The first is this Sunday. Sunday would be the last day that, let's say, you can take a rifle out anywhere and sight it in or something like that. Or the alternative to that is you go to a designated rifle range, you know, up to the you know, time when you're going to be out hunting deer and sight it in there. If, if the range is designated, then it, you can, you can uh, it has an exemption of that five-day restriction. So, uh, but a good idea to sight your rifle in and uh always like that expression um aim small miss small <laughs> good point good point so get that taken care of and and if you're going to be going out opening weekend you got to have that license purchased by friday the day before yes so if you're going to be hunting uh you know first day uh, you need to purchase that license before legal shooting hours for it to be legal during the season so think of this friday or uh, not this friday but uh, uh uh, next a week from this Friday, uh, you will need to purchase your deer license, your farm deer license before then, so you, you could be able to hunt uh, opening day. Uh, other than that, you have to wait a day uh, to uh, to do that. So if you purchase it on Saturday, you'd have to wait till Sunday, something like that. Okay. And one of the things we've talked a lot about over the years, uh, chronic wasting disease. We'll get more into that a little bit later on here, but uh, part of the deal is 
uh, because of CWD, you need to get that deer registered within 48 hours? Not so much because of CWD. That's a, that's a standard regulation. Oh, it is. If you, if you take a deer, you have to register it within 48 hours. CWD has a little bit different uh, approach that if you shoot a deer in the areas where we are managing for CWD, you have to register it. Or, I'm sorry, you have to check it in to the check station same day. Okay. Registration is uh, uh, an additional step that needs to follow. Okay. So, Okay, but but regardless, you get a deer forty eight hours. It's got to be registered. Yeah, that's registered. And that's that's one of many ways you can do that. You can either go to a deer registration station. They have, those are the ones with the big orange signs. You know, gas stations or or uh, C stores or whatever they might be. The second uh, place is you can go on the internet. Very easy to do that. You do that from your phone. Uh, and the third place is use a telephone. And all those uh, uh, ways you do that are in the hunting synopsis or call a DNR office, and they'll get you clued in. Okay. You know, one of the big things this year, it's really, really wet. The conditions are way wetter than usual. What does that mean? It means that Thief Lake's two feet higher than it should be, and I can't duck hunt because <laughs> all the cover's gone. <laughs> you know, there are many places right now that we just are seeing unusually wet conditions. It's very typical. Well, I wouldn't say very typical, but we've seen uh, a, a wet August go into a, a wet September. But hardly have we seen a very end of September get really wet and then October continue it. So we really have a lot of water around here, and that's going to impact deer season in a couple different ways. The first way probably is, uh, you know, if you're walking through marshes or lowland areas to get to your deer stand, well, you may need some hip boots or maybe chest waders, depending on where you're hunting at this year. There's that much water hmm. in some of the systems. The other thing that is going to be fairly significant, I think, in terms of deer harvest is the fact that there's a lot of standing corn around. And uh, that's a good place for deer to hide. And uh, uh, when we see standing corn in many areas like that, our deer uh, harvest numbers typically go down because of that. And that's going to be a case, I think, in a lot of this year. It's only, what, the last few days, I think, people have been able to get into some of the more moderately high fields and, and get out there and harvest crops. So I expect that's going to be a big issue. Okay. Uh, yeah, you don't usually have to worry too much about hip waders when you're deer hunting, but uh, this year might be. You know, this year might be. I, you know, at minimum, you better have some good boots that are, that are water uh, repellent or, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, that's just another thing that, you know, in addition to siding in your rifle, it's probably a good idea to check and see if your typical access points into your deer area are the same. Or is there a ditch that you could jump across that now you better have something a little better, a boat or waders or something that cross that ditch okay over the years things change r rules and regulations wise based on populations we're seeing out there and what we're trying to uh, accomplish it looks like most deer permit areas are going to be a little bit more liberal in uh, what they're allowing us to take this year yeah that's a general statement i think that covers most of the regions there's only a couple areas where things kind of went backwards and and uh, one of them it's kind of minor it's itasca state park had been intensive this year it's managed the difference is a person last year could shoot three deer there this year only two so uh you know if you look at the average uh, hunter he generally harvests about one deer um very few more harvest two and Few, uh, very few less than that even, uh, harvest three. So, um, yeah, things are going to be a little more liberal. So a good example would be if a deer permit area was maybe hunter's choice last year, it may be managed this year. Uh, or if it's uh, uh, lottery, it may have additional permits that was there, or maybe it went into hunter's choice. The best way to do that is find that deer map in the synopsis and look and see where you're hunting. And let me add, too, that I think it would be a very good idea 
for uh, people just to take a, a good look at the hunting book and refresh your memory on some of the rules, regulations, and in particular, know the area or the deer permit area. Uh, what are the regulations in that area? Is it a managed area? Is it a intensive? Is it hunter's choice? What is it, and what does that mean to you? And uh, what kind of licenses can you use in that area? Um, it, you know, granted, um, we've made things more complicated in terms of regulations, but the payoff for that is a more liberal ability to harvest deer statewide, and that has changed significantly in the last 25 years. So we're seeing really good populations out there. We're seeing good populations, but we're also seeing increased um, ability to harvest more deer if the person wants to do that or travel around. Remember, you know, back in the day, you had to harvest deer by the zone, and you could only harvest deer in the zone. And then there was the multi-zone license, and we decided, well, let's let's just make it so one license is good, you know, for the season, depending on what it is. So okay, so big changes in that, and good things. Yeah, but you do have to know your particular area, what's going on. Yes, you do, and, and uh, that that is important for you to do that. And I think as responsible hunters, um, you're obligated to at least have that knowledge. Well, it's the same thing as uh, knowing the special regs on a lake you're fishing. Yeah, or how fast you can go down the road. Yeah, exactly, same in, in what state. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so how many deer permit areas are there? Oh, my. Um no, my recollection is it's a shade under 100 or right okay. at, something like so there's that. Quite a, there's quite a yeah, few. And in Region 1 alone, of course, Region 1 goes all the way up from Canadian border all the way down to Glenwood, you know, that area down there. Um, I, I look at probably a good 40 or so that are in that area as well. I'm Kev Jackson in for Brian Moon, and we will continue with more Brainerd Outdoors Radio next on B93.3. Lakes Area Flood and Fire are your local flood, fire, and mold restoration specialists in the Lakes Area. From the ground up, they want to protect your investment and the health of you and your home or business. Instead of simply fixing the symptoms, they dig down to the root cause so it doesn't happen again. Their staff is IICRC certified and has an impressive track record of successful remediation projects and flood dryouts. Lakes Area Flood and Fire, providing services that help keep your home and family safe. I'm Kev Jackson in for Brian Moon and this is Brainerd Outdoors Radio on B93.3. Let's talk a little bit about uh, chronic wasting disease, something we've been concerned about the last several years. Um, as I rec- recollect, uh, the biggest concentration has been in southeastern Minnesota with some concern and some found uh, near some some game ref or uh, game Survey farms, farms. Uh, yeah. in in the uh, Crow Wing Brainerd area, correct? Yes, yeah. So chronic wasting is probably the department, or at least wildlife's number one issue right now, and that's our highest priority. And we're going to really be engaged in that for the uh, start of the deer season, all the way through it for those areas that have that. So you mentioned the southeast part of the state, and yes, that is uh, a very concern. There was like 40 additional positive deer found in the wild down there, and so we're increasing our surveillance down there um, and expanding it as well. Um, there are special regulations if you're hunting in any one of the CWD areas, and that in particular I ask that people would uh, clearly look at the book and understand what their requirements are for harvesting deer, for moving deer, for registering deer, for giving us samples, and all of that as well. The other area that you mentioned is that crow, um, that crow wing area uh, near the, uh, um, just north of Brainerd, the Merrillville area. Mm-hmm. So in that particular area, uh, we had done two years of surveillance and we found nothing. And then after surveillance last year, there was one deer that was found that was positive 
for CWD that changed that whole picture in that area now. So we'll be intensively surveying in that particular area this year, um, probably for the next three years, depending upon what we find. There is a, a third area, which is called central Minnesota, which is a little bit southwest of St. Cloud. This will be the third year that we have sampled that, and the, the uh, reason we were sampling there was a positive cervid or deer farm that was down there as well. We've had two years of no uh, uh, picking up any sense of uh, wild deer having that in the population down there. If we can uh, find the same result this year, we'll probably drop that area from surveillance. But um, it's an all-hands-on-deck for wildlife staff this year on this, and we'll be uh, monitoring CWD quite thoroughly in the next uh, the next month and a half. Um, We're hoping to gain about 17,000 samples this year uh, for testing. Now, again, for those who are not real familiar with chronic wasting disease, um, what is it exactly, and and how much do we actually know about it? Well, uh, to get a little technical and throw some jargon around, it's all right. It's uh, it's called a transmissible spongiform encephalitis. So, uh, the vernacular would be holes in the brain. Okay, you know, to so a degree, it sounds a little bit like bad cow disease. It is, yes. It's exactly the family of diseases that's in. Okay. And, of course, the human form of that is the Creutzfeldt-Jacobs disease, also called Metcal disease. Um, but it is, the, you know, a disease of the brain. It is always fatal. It sometimes can present itself early or late in a deer's lifespan. Um, we have kind of a classic picture of this beautiful uh, large buck that was shot that you would not suspect would have any problems at all, and it was chronically positive to that. So um, some of the signs, some of the symptoms when it does begin to express itself in a deer will be behavior things such as uh, less weary, uh, cocked head, you know, saliva coming out of its mouth. And then you begin to see, as the name implies, the deer just begins wasting away. So the ribs are going to be start showing. It becomes uh, less mobile, all these type of things. It's a very bad disease. So, If you get a deer that tests positive, you don't eat it. You don't eat it. In any way, shape, or form. Why would you do that? Yeah. You know, yeah. There's just no reason to and, and anything else. Those deer that we are testing, uh, we will get results back you know, relatively quickly. And if it is positive, we will be contacting that hunter uh, about that because we want to know, one, uh, where it's at and, and what there might be for surrounding areas. And, of course, the hunter himself would want to know what he's got there as well. Right. Now, if the hunter gets his deer... And it tests positive, does he get to go out and try for another deer? Huh. You had to ask that question, too. <laughs> I, I, I haven't looked that up, Kevin. <laughs> I would guess that once the tag is used, the tag is used. Okay. Uh, it's one of those things. There have been cases where, where um, in the past, I think there's been some additional reissue of things, but I'm not thinking that chronic wasting is one of those things. In the first place, you know, last year I think we found a total of 41 deer, and that was probably done, uh, you know, during season or after. So whether it would have been an additional opportunity to hunt, I can't say, you know. Right, so right. Okay, so um, what areas, again, uh, specifically do people need to be concerned about this in? At the moment. At the moment. Um, Three areas. Southwest Minnesota. Sorry, southeast Minnesota. You know, basically on that that full tip down there. Um, The area that would be southwest of uh, St. Cloud in that area. And the area just north of Brainerd in the Maryville area there. Okay. To be concerned about it is simply uh, to be aware that if you're hunting in those areas, you're to bring your deer in to have it tested 
Uh, we are testing uh, at least in two of the three areas through the season. And in the St. Cloud area, again, it's a monitoring effort. If you want to, um, if you harvest a deer after the first two days, you can still bring it into a station and have it checked for, for that as well. Um, other than that, you know, uh, where I'm hunting, where maybe you're hunting or anybody else, if you're not in those areas, there's no reason to suspect there's a problem there. Uh, a person can have their deer tested even if they're not in that area by uh, looking at, I think it's the last part of the uh, uh, book, it tells you how you can transport your deer as well as uh, where you can get it tested if you want to just have it has it done. You know, okay. um, Blink Lemick, my assistant up in the region, you've talked to him a little oh, yeah. bit. He hunts out in Colorado, and it's just a common for him every year to send uh, his uh, lymph nodes in for testing and get the result back so he knows whether he's got a positive deer or not. Okay. Anybody can do that. Um, what are the proactive things we can do to try to battle this, or are there? Well, we're taking a, a fairly good approach about it. Uh, if you want to go to our website, you can see our plan for battling the disease as a whole. But in, in terms of the individual person, you know, there is a concern about um, uh, putting out food for deer because you're concentrating deer. And if that is the case, you know, you concentrate the, the ability for any disease to be transferred deer to deer from that standpoint. Um, you look at this, we, we as an agency then are where we have this uh, deer uh, situation in place where there is CWD. We're trying to reduce the population there so that there can't be, a, again, deer-to-deer -deer transmission. We're uh, making it illegal to feed deer in those areas as well. Uh, it's just some of those small things like that that, you know, we'll hopefully have a, a chance of this. Uh, you know, um, in most states, uh, maybe I could say in all states that have this disease, I don't think they've ever got that genie back in the bottle. Um, as I was thinking about this last night, how I, would, how I would describe it, you know, I think we have a chance in like places where that uh, one deer showed up positive. Maybe that, maybe that's a fluke. Maybe that's something that just happened. If we can just kind of work on that area, get the deer population down, or, or do the things that we need to do to monitor those type of things, maybe maybe there's not going to be an issue there. In the southeast, I think we're at a point where. Jeannie's probably got a couple, a couple of arm and leg out of the bottle, maybe, and uh, it's questionable whether we'll get them back in or not. I don't know. Okay, I know the game farms are a hot button issue with a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, on both sides of that issue, but I know there has been. I've heard talk that they feel that's a, a, some people feel that's where CWD is coming from. Well, uh, you know, there's certainly at times one can see that the, that's been a spot where it appears to have come from. It's it's hard to say exactly how and where. Uh, it's a issue that, like you say, it's a hot button issue with uh, people on both sides of that coin. Um, the legislature is looking at uh, situations on how they might legislate about that as well. More to come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, I guess uh, my. Uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't call it an epidemic in this state, but it certainly is top of mind for most people, and that's probably good. Yes, it is. Um, well, you know, when you look at the the recreational aspect of deer hunting in the state, the state has a tremendous tradition of that. CWD has the ability to knock that completely out of the just take it off our, our schedule, and we're seeing that in the southeast. You know, less license sales or less interest in hunting because of that. And, sure. You know. Think how, how awful that is. You know, when you look at uh, deer hunting as a whole, a lot of a lot of people plan family reunions about that, or a time when friends gather and just have a good time, and you know all that uh, all that scenario. It would be a, it would be a real shame 
to lose that tradition in the state. And uh, while I don't know that we would completely lose it altogether, it certainly will impact it. And we're trying to avoid that uh, hook, line, and sinker. Okay. Taking away CWD for the moment, looking at deer populations in, in the northwest region, uh, how do we feel about them right now? Pretty good. Okay. Um, there are um, a couple of spots that I've had calls about that saying, hey, I'm not seeing deer here. And if you look at the whole uh, permit area, there may be a hole where there's maybe not so many deer. Maybe it's habitat related or whatever. But we're also seeing at the same location or at the same uh, time areas where there are too many deer. And in particular, like Permit Area 105, north of uh, uh, up the border up there, north part of the state, by uh, Bedette area and stuff like that, and even further east. We have some issues with deer on uh, soybeans and other agricultural crops. We're going to have to look at that pretty well. And we've got that as an intensive area this year. We've had it like that for a while. Uh, we may have to go to a little higher um, liberalized season in that case. Another area that we have to worry about is a little bit east of Fergus Falls. That seemed to be an area where um, we, again, are having deer issues on agricultural crops, and we're going to work with that as well. Um, you know, we did see a little bit of winter mortality last year, and I would, I would classify it somewhere in that area between DL and Bemidji, sort of a line there. So we typically have seen uh, some of that issues on deer and turkey in that area as well for winter um, impacts on that. Okay. Um, carcass care. We get we get the deer. We got to get it out of the woods. We got to get it taken care of. Give us some tips. What what do we need to do to make that deer tasty? Ah, let me tell you what to make it untasty. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, oh, this goes back to the to the middle '90s and when I was up in Thief Lake, uh, there was an order uh, an article that appeared in the newspaper that said how to make your beef taste like deer. And it went through a series of steps on how you would do this. And the first would be to, well, you shoot the deer. And, of course, one of the bullets goes through the abdomen, which stirs things up and causes problems with, with that. You then um, field dress the, the beef, and you would drag it through a swamp, uh, letting the water go into the carcass of the thing. Then you drag it over a plowed field so that uh, it gets nice and dirty. You then proceed to get it home somehow or another, whether you throw it in the back of your truck or tow it behind an ATV or whatever the case is, then hang it up in the tree for several days, and then you butcher the deer. So uh, all those type of things are things that will make your make your prize beef taste like a deer. <laughs> it was just a real hoot to read that article. I've never forgotten it. So, but anyhow, uh, you know, obviously, good points. One, one of the first things to do is you know, good shot placement is always critical. One for a, a good lethal uh, fast kill. Uh, you don't have to track it very far in that case like that. You want to cool that deer down as fast as possible and and um, uh, get it cleaned out and and. First, first order of business. If you hang the deer, which most people do for at least a day or so because they're hunting or whatever else, make sure it's off the ground uh, far enough that uh, other things can't climb up and get it. There's certainly been some issues I've seen with uh, stray dogs that may come by and grab a bite to eat. That's never a happy moment. Uh, if you hang a deer, it's probably a good idea to pull tenderloins because they dry fairly quickly, being expressed like that. And those are some really choice cuts of meat right mm -hmm. there. But anyhow, just proper carcass care. And, and like I say, the main the main thing I can see is is uh, cool that deer down as fast as you can get it cleaned. So Okay. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, preparing venison, I think the big challenge with that, like any, um, you know, uh, wild animal you hunt and catch is – is the fact that it's leaner than than most meat we're used to using, and it can get dry if you don't prepare it correctly. How do we how do we find the right recipes and the tips on how to do that? You know, 
medically speaking, um, a lot of doctors will say that deer is a very healthy meat to eat. Mm-hmm. It is lean, you know, from that standpoint. And even in the fact, you know, if you clean one, there's a lot of fat on it. You know, the way you butcher the deer, you can basically have nothing but lean meat. Mm-hmm. I tell you an easy recipe for people uh, that that uh, my wife uses and, and our whole family enjoys it this way. Basically, you slice the deer, whatever portion of meat you're using there in about half inch strips or half inch uh, thick pieces maybe a little thinner or something like that and uh, put it in a crock pot throw in a couple cans of uh, cream of chicken soup and let it uh, go for about four or five hours and you will have a very delicious supper with that Mm. but at any rate just again uh, seasoning uh, as you would be for any other thing is important and uh, how you prepare the, the meat treat it just like everything else I had a very bad experience when I first tasted deer. Uh, and this was back when I was a boy in Indiana. My mom didn't know how to cook deer because, you know, deer weren't around in Indiana during her time. And, you know, as, as uh, uh, deer were reintroduced to Indiana and people began to getting them, she didn't know what to do. So she put it in a, a, a pressure cooker and boiled the thing. Tasted terrible. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't want to eat any more deer at all after that. And I was at a friend's house and he said, let's have some some." Deer burger. I thought, oh, okay, I'll try this again. It was delicious. Yeah. And I just found out if you prepared it properly and treated it like you would any other particular meat, you know, with the right seasoning, it's delicious. And mm-hmm. uh, that's my opinion. <laughs> I won't force that on anybody else to say it, but I, I sure like it. This is Brainerd Outdoors Radio on B93.3. I'm Kev Jackson in for Brian Moon. The show continues after this. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors Radio on B93.3. I'm Kev Jackson, host of Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, filling in for Brian Moon this week. We talked about the the wet conditions out there. Uh, what can that mean when you're trying to get the deer out of the woods? Well, how would you normally get your deer out? If it's dragging your deer, which most people do up to a certain point, you're going to have to drag that deer through a swamp, as we talked about. And then, mm-hmm. you know, What are you going to do about carcass care in that case if on the other hand you have an atv uh is the trail into an atv uh, or with an atv is it muddy are you going to be rutting things up you're going to get stuck you know there's there's things about that if you're hunting in an area where there's a lot of corn uh, standing i'd be looking very closely at what the deer trails would be going to and from that cornfield because if your original plan was to put a stand on the edge of a, of a cornfield, something like that, you're not going to have much of a chance to see a deer in the middle of that field. So um, you just got to think your way through what it might mean to have a wetter season this year. And, of course, first off is your feet. You know, how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. What kind of boots are you wearing? What kind of what kind of access gear do you need? Okay. Deer hunting, like fishing, is one of the most popular outdoor activities in the state. Huge economic impact. Yes. What kind of dollars are we talking here? Let's say direct sales, firearms purchased, uh, ammunition, uh, uh, all that archery stuff that you can buy uh, to help you hunt with that. Uh, all of those type of things directly is about a quarter of a billion dollars, $250,000 of direct retail sales. Okay. When you when you look at um, maybe the overall impact with travel, hotels, uh, these type of things that people do, it was estimated that about Almost three quarters of a billion, or seven hundred fifty million dollars, would uh, would likely cover uh, just the the 
the pursuit of deer as a recreational hobby. Hmm. So it's a big impact. And um, economically, it, it uh, puts a little life in some of the smaller communities, you know. Oh, absolutely. Let alone the church dinners you can go to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. We have been concerned um, because license sales have been going down basically across the board, even to fishing to some degree. We, is that a trend we are continuing to see at this point? So far, it yeah. is. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, in the areas of CWD, we're seeing uh, a few less license sales, um, which indicates that people are concerned about that disease and they're taking steps that maybe they won't pursue the deer in that, in that particular area uh, where they live, if that's a CWD area. But license sales in general... Uh, hunting has been somewhat stable in Minnesota. It is maybe slightly down in many cases, duck stamp sales in particular and pheasant stamp uh, sales. But um, the trend nationwide is Minnesota is doing better than most other states, which okay. are losing their hunters and fishermen pretty rapidly. Hmm. I know one thing we did this year was uh, have a statewide youth season, and it sounds like that was a really big success. Sounds like it was. Now, I do have a a rough figure for that. It sounds okay. like the youth in the state may have harvested a little bit better than 5,000 deer. Oh, wow. So pretty good, you yeah. know, for that standpoint. This is the first year it went statewide. There has been in the Northwest a, um, a, a youth firearm season for many years now. And uh, it was just thought that, well, let's just make this available for the entire state. There's no reason just to hold it in one spot because many people were complaining about that. And, you know, grandma and grandpa want to have, you know, grandson or granddaughter out in the deer stand with them. And this has been an excellent way to introduce and get youth interested into deer hunting and stuff like that. And that's just part of the uh, hunter recruitment efforts that we're trying to do. We're making things a little bit better. My biggest complaint about uh, youth season is I never had one myself. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> just doggone it. But I did have my kids out, and they have thoroughly enjoyed that. There is another side of that coin with people thinking that, well, you know, I don't know that the kids should be out early taking deer when uh, it gives them a step up on other people like that. Well, uh, what we've seen typically in that is, you know, you do get a little bit of concern as um, the first time something like that is introduced. And over time, people understand and, and seem to get along with it pretty well. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, uh, I think it's important. It's a, it's a great way to give them that taste of something they may well enjoy that otherwise they wouldn't get. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of things vying for our kids' attention. Uh, mm -hmm. Not all of them are good. Yeah. Uh, I think this is one wholesome activity that uh, uh, many Minnesotans uh, have grown up uh, with the ability to do this. And even in 1998, you know, the constitutional change, it said this is a tradition of this state that we will preserve for future generations. So we're trying to do that, and youth season is one of the ways to do it. One of the other, you know, concerns about lack of hunting licenses or a trend downward is a lot of people don't understand that is like 100% of budgets to keep the wildlife and the fish and everything going and and the, your efforts to do that come through the license sales yes for wildlife uh, staff as well as our funding and everything almost entirely it's from uh, license sales uh, another source though that has been very important for us has been the legacy amendment and that's that uh, three-quarters of one percent of the tax that uh, people have been paying we get about eighty million dollars a year uh, for wildlife habitat or wildlife management, improvements, something like that. And just to note, that doesn't all go to DNR. It goes to many places. Uh, DNR gets uh, a portion of that money as it's allotted by a committee uh, down in St. Paul. But, yes, uh, hunting and fishing license sales are, are critical to the management in this state and, and uh, will be in the future. 
we are seeing some other states where they've kind of uh, uh, thrown up their hands with management like that, and they've gone to other sources for um, their management of their wildlife or natural resources in that degree. Um, Minnesota, it's hard to say whether we'll, you know, what the future holds for us. We certainly are trying to make sure that the ability to hunt and fish in this state uh, remains good and well, uh, stays a part of our tradition, and, and uh, it's a good thing. Okay. Um, we talked about the deer in northwest Minnesota being good, uh, good numbers right now. Everything seems to be pretty good. Let's talk about other wildlife. What are some of the other things the, the wildlife chief, chief has to look over? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's everything from we start off the the season with bear. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bear this year, the harvest has been up over uh, last year, and largely bear uh, harvest kind of goes with food availability uh, in the woods. Uh, This year there was a little less bear um, natural foods available, so people who are baiting bear and stuff like that had better success in harvesting bear. And I don't remember exactly uh, the total number that was harvested, but it's somewhere in that – I'm thinking 1600 range or something like that, but it's it's it was up over last year and uh, it looks like it's uh, going to be a, a good. Well, we're done with season anyway, so that's come and gone. Um, we expected it would be good. We saw a lot of them in the in the spring and early summer. Oh this yeah, year, so well, you must have personally experienced that. <laughs> a couple of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people experience that more than others with bird yeah. feeders and a few things that yeah. maybe the bear isn't always exactly appreciated after a while. <laughs> yes. But we talk about bear. That's kind of the opening thing. Okay. So we start off with uh, small game season coming open about the second week of September. Uh, pheasant season, uh, middle of October. Deer season, of course, again, uh, with the small game opener as well. Um, and that runs all the way through December 31st. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, your small games, depending on what you're talking about, can go into the next year for a little bit as well. Turkey's been a um, uh, an up-and-coming star these last many years, mm-hmm. in particular, even around the Bemidji area and north. Uh, we have two seasons on turkey, a spring season and a fall season. Our fall season just ended uh, this last Sunday. Okay. So um, all good. Yeah. Um, we're, we have pheasant up here? Uh, we're a little far north for that. Okay. Uh, you got to get down maybe towards that Park Rapids area to start picking a few up. DL uh, has a few in that area. And, of course, as you go further south to the more prairie area of the state, that's where our pheasant population largely is. Okay. Yeah. Um, you don't hear about it too much up here. but Not not here, so much. A little bit more about grouse up here. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Grouse season, um, I haven't heard an awful lot about it lately. Uh, the uh, population was looking at least good in some spots. It's hard to say. Uh, maybe down in some others. And that's real typical for grouse. You know, mm-hmm. even in a what appears to be a down year, you can still have hot spots where there are a number of grouse. And in a good year, you can have the dead ones just the same. So tough to say. Well, I, I talked to Scott Anderson on Ducks Unlimited, but I'll get your take on it. Ducks and geese this year, how's it been? Well, we talked about it being wet, right? Yes. So um, the wetness in the state in particular has impacted farming. And uh, it's flooded some of those fields, uh, the fields that were picked, you know, and um, have the waste grain in the ground. Couldn't ask for a better a meal than that. The second best meal would be where they're not picked. And the duck can swim to head to head on that. And I did see some fields up north that were um, wheat fields that hadn't been harvested yet. And I'm sure the, the crop is probably lost uh, because of that. But I'm sure that's going to be a high o- option for ducks. And so because of that, ducks are everywhere and geese are everywhere. As you travel around uh, the state right now, you just see geese flying in many areas like that. Um, you know, uh, some of the more um, 
popular areas to hunt ducks like Rosa River WMA or Thief Lake WMA. I mentioned that, you know, Thief Lake was two feet higher. And yeah. when I was out there, you know, uh, because you're so higher, the bull rush doesn't provide as much cover or the, the phragmites is there. And the ducks see you pretty good and they just kind of look at you and laugh. <laughs> and so I said, well, we just had a nice boat ride today. Uh, but it has impacted uh, several areas. And it's probably made some areas pretty good for duck hunting and made others pretty bad. Okay. So. We uh, and I and I talked with Scott about this too, but most everything else you deal with, they uh, they pretty much stick in a specific area. When you're talking about waterfall, especially geese and ducks, we're talking about transient um, creatures that are not here, and we have, and that's why it's so important to have uh, nationwide people working together on this, and even continent wide. Absolutely. Um... Migratory waterfowl. There's a reason they call them migratory. <laughs> you know, they come and go. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Minnesota's blessed to have a good natural population of ducks and geese, and we take advantage of that. I believe uh, right now that the uh, most of our goose numbers that are taken, I think majority of them, maybe just just over fifty percent or better, are local birds that we raise here. Now, they're the giant Canadas that are endemic to this area, and, and we have a lot of them. We have uh, typically good uh, production on ducks. Uh, the first couple of weeks of duck season, we uh, have good hunting just because of our local population. Then we, of course, see, receive the migrants as they come in and stuff like that. But you're right, Kevin. You know, we need um, many, many states uh, work with Canada, uh, Ducks Unlimited as well, all the way down to Mexico. And um, it's important that we have um, – well, if you're migratory – You've got to have a good place to raise a family. You've got to have a good place to travel as you're going to your destination, and the destination has to be good as well. Mm -hmm. So all three of those things have to come into play before we have a successful uh, duck season. Overall, Northwest region, pretty happy with the way things are going? Hmm. Yes, I would say so. Um, like anything else, we, we uh, I mentioned the pendulum in a deer. We've talked mm -hmm. about that before. Yes. We do have some areas deer-wise that we need to uh, uh, maybe work, work a little harder, put a little more pressure on the deer population, reducing towards goal. Some of the areas we're going to reduce up towards goal, or not reduce, but increase towards goal. Um, that's not been a problem. It's, it's more easy to increase a deer herd than it is to knock it down, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, um, habitat-wise, we're, we're, I would say, in the, the fair range. I wouldn't call it good, and I wouldn't call it bad. Um, the scene, you know, certainly there's a big um, relationship we have with agriculture within the area. You know, those things um, where we have that ag mix is some of our best hunting uh, ground that we have for many species of wildlife. Areas where there's more predominantly ag, maybe a little less, and they could use a little more habitat. And then, of course, you have the other species that are more adapted to the wooded areas, too. Um, overall, I, I would just give us a fair to maybe fair to good rating, but. Uh, I wouldn't give it an excellent, and I wouldn't give it a poor either. Okay, okay. I know that there's always, everybody's got their opinion on what they want their deer population to be. Or, you know, for, uh, and I always go back to fish because I talk so much about it throughout the course of the summer. You know, Lake Bemidji has become a trophy muskie lake, whereas other lakes have more muskies across the spectrum. Um, Deer-wise, what are we trying to be? Are we trying to be the 30-point buck place or <laughs> trying to be the place where a lot of people can get a buck or, or even a doe? You know, it seems about um, maybe a little less than a half people that are deer hunting get a deer. Mm -hmm. You know, So that's, that's not too bad. 
I think we would like to see, you know, um, uh, well, most people that go out to try to take a deer would be successful in that. 30-point buck, um, uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> we tried that in the south southeast there, you know, and they were having success in seeing larger deer because the there was a four-point antler restriction on what you should take and stuff like that. But there again, we had that CWD pop up, and, and now that's, you know, we've, we dropped that, and that's gone for the most part. I think, um, and trust me, um, there would be people that would disagree with me on this and others that would agree. You kind of have the one side of the coin, like, I'm just after a good dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd probably fall in that suit. And there are other people that say, you know, I'd really like to shoot a trophy buck once in my life. And, um, you know, we try to manage for that mediocre between those two ranges. Basically, we do that by setting a goal in a particular area. What do you want to see? And we're kind of getting away from the number goal of so many deer per square mile. And we're really working on sort of what we're hearing from the public, what we're seeing from our own deer observations and stuff like that. Would you like to see the deer population a little higher or a little lower than what you are experiencing? And those are the type of uh, things that we're beginning to look at and trying to model towards. Um, the 30-point buck, it's a great song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to give Bananas at Large a, a kudos for that. Yeah. As well as the Youpers. They got some good the ones, Upers, too. Yeah. But uh, uh, it's just nice. Um, ev- you know, Even in most areas there, you still have a chance for uh, that big buck that's hanging around. But those deer don't come without some effort on your part. Either that or you got to be really lucky. Um, but generally to scout those deer, you have to be sharp on sign and you actually got to do some deer hunting. Um, uh, some of the other hunting that I do, uh, deer being one of them is more or less walk to your stand. You find it out after the last several years and you get a deer, you know, um, but those big ones don't come easy and they usually require a little effort in your part to understand them. Okay. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up, John? Safety always, mm-hmm. uh, know the area where you're hunting, be cognizant of those around you, uh, Sight in your rifle, you know. Um, the thing that you don't want is to shoot a deer and go track it for another three miles, you know. Yeah. So uh, good, a good shot on placement. You know, our shooting hours half hour before sunrise, half hour uh, before or half hour after sunset. You know, is it always wise to go right to the very minute of that? Well, it depends on the conditions. There are times when it's cloudy and dark at uh, before shoot before shooting hours in. Maybe you don't want to take that shot because, well, can you? actually aim well or can you track well at that point so just think about some of the things like that um certainly be be cognizant of any of the hunters around you make sure you're wearing your hunter orange or blaze pink uh good good note and you know we laugh a little bit about that but what we found out with uh people who are colorblind blaze pink is much more observable than hunter orange so it's it's not a uh it's not a fluke it's a it's a reality and it's a good thing um yeah, that's main thing. And uh, gosh, enjoy family, enjoy the friends you're hunting with. Um, it's a time hopefully you can relax and and uh, just enjoy the outdoors. All right, good words from John Williams. He is the Northwest Regional uh, Hunt. Try that again. Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager. Close enough. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> out of the office here in Bemidji. And John, we appreciate you taking time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, inviting me in. Appreciate the conversation, Kevin. Up next on Brainerd Outdoors Radio, one of Chef Joel's best of recipes. I'm Kev Jackson for Brian Moon, and that's up next. Lakes Area Flood and Fire are your local flood, fire, and mold restoration specialists in the Lakes Area. From the ground up, they want to protect your investment and the health of you and your home or business. 
Instead of simply fixing the symptoms, they dig down to the root cause so it doesn't happen again. Their staff is IICRC certified and has an impressive track record of successful remediation projects and flood dryouts. Lakes Area Flood and Fire, providing services that help keep your home and family safe. Raining Outdoors Radio on B93.3. I'm Kev Jackson in for Brian Moon, and we go to the archive to find a best of recipe from Chef Joel's Hungry Hunter and Famished Fisherman's collection. And we bring in our good friend Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. Welcome back, Joel. Thanks, Brian. Great recipe this week, Joel. Braised venison shanks. We'll take, you know, four of our nice venison shanks if, if they're nice whole ones. If uh, if your butcher cut them up for you, you know, nice little pieces, that's cool too. But we'll take uh, four nice nice size uh, shanks and we're going to pull them out we're going to rub them down with olive oil and then we're going to season them up with a little bit of salt and pepper let that kind of marinate you can let it sit on the counter for an hour or you can uh, you know put it in the refrigerator and do it overnight that way the seasoning really really permeates and mm-hmm. really takes all that flavor in so while we have our uh, venison shanks just sitting out we can uh, preheat the oven we'll crank that up to 475 so we're going to blast these things in there we're just going to blast them in there for 15 minutes just to get a nice crust on the outside, sear them up just to, you know, kind of sew everything and steal all the juices in there. While those are uh, in the oven, we can take our Dutch oven and, uh, you know, start sauteing off a little bit of bacon, toss in some onions, and let the, let the onions kind of sweat out a little bit just until the bacon starts to get a little bit crispy. And then we're going to deglaze that with a little bit of a uh, Jack Pine Brewery beer. boy. You know, any kind of any kind of <laughs> beer you have there is, is, is good, but we're, we're going Jack Pine this time. We'll deglaze with the beer, and then we'll add in a little bit of sauerkraut, a little bit of beef stock, uh, some fresh thyme, and a bay leaf. Let that come up to a boil for just a couple of minutes. And we'll pull our shanks out of the oven, and we're going to go ahead and drop those right into our our sauerkraut and uh, beer mixture. And what we're going to do is we're going to cover that up, pop it into an oven, and we're going to lower the oven to 300 degrees, and we'll pop it in there for probably another three hours just until that until that meat starts to fall off the bone almost. You know, pull them out and uh, serve over a nice bed of sauerkraut and got a delicious venison shank. I would say so. Wow, this sounds fantastic. And it, there's a lot to it, Joel, but I think once people get going with it, they'll realize it's a pretty simple recipe, too. It really is. Once you once you get the shanks in the oven and the the Dutch oven is, is not, you know, there's not really not too much going on with that. Sure. Let's let that do the work. Let that do the work. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of prep time, and, and then once you get in the oven, you can sit back and drink some brews. There you go. Well, if you want to give it a shot, uh, head to our website. Uh, I'm sure you'll love it, uh, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the recipes tab. This one and a ton of other ones there for you to try. Braised venison shanks. That's our uh, Hungry Hunter recipe for this week. Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon in Baxter. Thanks, Joel. Thank you, Brian. That concludes this edition of Brainerd Outdoors Radio. You can catch the show Saturday mornings at 7 a.m., Sunday evenings at 7 p.m., and Monday morning at 5 a.m. on B93.3. Stream us online at BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the Listen Live tab. Plus, we're available wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Kev Jackson, host of Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. For Brian Moon and everyone at B93.3, 
Thank you for tuning in to Brainerd Outdoors Radio. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by The Power Lodge, SCR Northern, Thieland Meats, Tracker Boating Center, Vimer Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Liveax Marine in Isle, S&W Bait and Tackle, Oars and Mine Marine in Crosby, Freedom Firearms, Newman Construction, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, Your Ice Castle Dealer in Fine River, Crow Wing Recycling, Canvas Tech, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Bermel Shoe Store in Randall, SPR Motorsports and Marine, and by Rag your truck accessory pros join brian moon saturday mornings at seven sunday evenings at seven and monday mornings at five right here on b93.3